this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So very happy to be back again this week. Um, have a podcast. I actually wanted, what I wanted to do today is when I, last week's podcast, I talked about a, a Marine case. It was a Marine Corps reservist. Um, it went to the Navy Discharge Review Board again, Navy some record is under the Navy. They handle all the cases. Um, but I really wanted to not so much get, discuss that case specifically or another case, but I wanted to talk to you about the Navy's decision write-up. They have a great little, when they do a decision, they, you know, they do a really good job discussing the case. And another thing they do is they have like a little addendum at the back of the opinion. And it says addendum information for the applicant. And it's the same for every applicant, but they have some really good information that I want to discuss with you because it will help you understand some of the things you're asking for relief for and why certain things can't be granted or may be granted. The other thing, so I'm going to do that today. That's going to be today's podcast, but it's going to be very important information you need to know. The other thing I'd like to go over is, um, you know, I've been talking to, you know, all these podcasts, I'm you know, going over the board of review reading rooms and all the cases I'm discussing now are DRB cases, right? Discharge review board, not board for correction military records. I will do those cases as well, specifically applying to people trying to change their discharge. But just know whether it's the DRB or the board for correction military records, it's the same concept they look at. The only difference is for the DRB, you have to have been discharged less than 15 years ago to apply there. And you are statutorily entitled to go to a board in those cases. Now with the COVID, they've you know, the last cases I've been doing with COVID, some are just telephonic. It's not even like a Zoom. They don't even see you. Um, some of the cases are Zoom where, you, you know, it's pretty um, efficient. You know, you go with Zoom and you get to see all the members and they're actually all over the place. They're not necessarily in one room, you could tell. Um, so it depends on the service, what they're offering. The telephonic, um, I didn't like that as much. It's nice to be at least see the board members, but some of the boards are doing the telephonic and that could change. But again, getting back to the difference between DRB and BCMR, the DRB are entitled statutorily to a personal appearance as opposed to a document review, if you'd like to do that as well. The BCMR, it's BCMR for all the services. For the Navy, it's called Board for Correction of Naval Records, so it's a little different. But um, those cases, you are not entitled statutory hearing. Sometimes they will call you for a hearing. Actually, I just had a, a friend, a colleague, an Air Force um, uh, veteran, JAG, basically did a case with the Army, and he got a really good result. It, it didn't have to do with discharge review board cases, but he, because the case really impacts like a lot of Army reservists, they actually called him to the board. He had a personal appearance, and he won the the case that was pretty cool. So they're very rare, these personal appearances. The other thing I want to just tell you about the um, BCMR, remember I told you for the DRB, it's 15 years. For the Board for Crush Military Records, the, the criteria, and if you look at the form, it says, basically, you're entitled to apply if, it, if it's been three years since you um, discover the error or injustice in the case. And if it's been more than three years, you get to explain why it's been more. I mean, that's the statute. Again, 15 years is for the correction, uh, the DRB. But BCMR, it's, it says no correction can be made unless 
uh, it was unless the request is made within three years after the discovery of the error in justice. So if you say to them, well, I discovered this 10 years ago, you have to explain why you're just applying for the board. Okay. And I will tell you, I rarely have I seen cases where they deny it because they find it's in the interest of justice. It says the board may excuse failure to file within three years in the interest of justice. I think I've seen one case where they actually analyzed the case. They determined they weren't going to grant it and then said, by the way, it's been more than three years because I think they didn't want to go into all the detail of addressing all the issues. There's a lot of issues the guy brought up. Um, but I've never seen a case other than that. And in even that case, they did address the, the merits of the case. It's just they didn't give like a 20 page answer. They always they always look at those cases. Again, I've never seen one. They said, oh, too bad. You, you discovered this three years more than three years ago, we're not looking at it. They look at it because they say, well, if we don't look at it, you know, we're not going to know if there's a case. So that's an aside of that. That's, there's a little confusion on that. So I wanted to tell you that. Um, but the three-year thing, just so you know, it applies to, let's say you went to the DRB and you lost. You lost in the document review. You lost in the personal appearance and your decision, let's say I'll make the, your decision was January, the decision from the army was January 1st, 2020 DRB personal, you lost, they, they denied it. Then you technically have, right. You discovered the error, the error, they, you know, they made an error, but not ruling your favor. You have three years from then, right. 2023. If you don't, um, I mean, not 2023. Yeah. Yeah, 2023, I guess. Wow. So 2020, 2023. So if you don't apply before 2023, that means the three years have passed, but you could still explain why you didn't and they'll probably accept it. So hope that makes sense. Okay. Going to this Marine case where the, the army, um, actually and they granted it in part, they granted that reservist case. And the reason they granted it again is because he submitted some evidence he submitted something to try to explain why he missed these 19 drills. If you haven't listened to, if this is kind of not making sense, please, you know, go ahead and listen to the last week's episode because it'll give you more clarity. But the reason I'm discussing this is when you submit an application, you have to submit stuff to them, to the board, to tell them why there's an error in justice, inequity, blah, blah, blah. Otherwise, they're not going to, you know, dig in the thing and say, oh, you didn't find it, but here it is. You know, if they see it like off the bat, they may, but the rule is, and this, this is in every write-up I see in every service, it says the board presumes regularity in the conduct of governmental affairs, unless there's substantial credible evidence to re rebut this presumption to include evidence submitted by the applicant. So it's generally the applicant's going to submit this evidence. They're not going to, you know, there's got to be something the applicant tells them to rebut the presumption because they're going to assume, okay, the Navy, Army, Air Force discharge you. We presume everything was good. So that's how it works. So you have to present evidence. So when I see cases, and I think I discuss a case like the Air Force, the, it was denied because the person didn't even say what was unjust about their case. The other thing I wanted to tell you is, again, in this addendum they give to clients, this is really important because here's what they tell you. It's just general information. There's a bunch of stuff they tell you in the addendum that's very important to know. But one is, okay, um, they're saying that you know, some people, you know, are applying to us to get their discharges changed because they want service benefits. For example, like VA benefits, you will not get disability benefits from the VA unless you have a general or honorable discharge. You will not get, grant, get one, get your disability benefits 
if you have an other than honorable discharge. And what they tell you is, you know, the boards, we don't just change your discharge because you tell us, oh, please change my discharge because then I have an OTH and I'm not going to, I'm now not getting my benefits because I have some mental health condition or I have very serious injuries that I incurred um, in Iraq, et cetera. <coughs> so, you know, they tell you that like, you, so you can't just apply to them and say, please change my discharge because I'm not getting benefits. That may be part of the reason you're doing it, but you have to show them why it was unjust. For example, I had PTSD. That's why I used marijuana. And be, because of the CURTA guidance and the liberal consideration, this should mitigate my misconduct. And, you know, that's what you explain. You don't say, well, I'm not getting my benefits. They know that. They know if you have an OTH, you're not getting your benefits. But they can't, by law, they can't just grant it to you because of that. They also can't grant it because you say, well, I'm, you know, basically I'm not getting my GI bill, so I, I need an honorable discharge. Well, they know that too, right? They know that you need an honorable, but they're not going to grant it based on that. You have to show substantive evidence, you know, substantive evidence of why the discharge was faulty or why there was... Again, for DRB, it's called inequity or impropriety. The other thing, oh, this is really an important one because I get a lot of calls or emails on this. A lot of people, God bless them, they they like get discharged and they wanna they wanna re-enlist. You know, it could be sometimes it's five years later, 10 years later, you know, sometimes 15 years. Like they want to re-enlist. They want to serve their country. They loved, they loved serving. And they, you know, they thought they like, wow, I just really want to re-enlist. Sometimes it's like a year later, they're like right away, they want to re-enlist. The one thing you need to know, the discharge review boards, they don't, they don't have the authority to just, oh, you're doing really well since you were discharged. We're going to change your RE code to allow you to re-enlist because we're very happy you want to re-enlist and you seem to have skills we need. They can't just do that. Okay. They cannot, they're not the board to just change your RE code. The the BCMR are the boards that can technically do that, but it's also very difficult. So I always tell clients, the hardest thing to get changed in your DD-214, believe it or not, is the RE code. They might say, yeah, wow, this, you know, your misconduct. Okay, we're going to change the secretarial authority. Oh, we're going to change your OTH to a general discharge. But the RE code, when they change that, it's basically saying, you know, we're going to allow you to re-enlist. And they may not want, based on what happened, they may not believe you're suitable to re-enlist. They might say there was some error in justice, but they might still determine. So the RE code is very difficult. Now, the way the RE code is, is changed is, can be changed is, is if they change your characterization or they change your narrative reason because they believe there was an error. And because it was such a blatant error, they believe if there wasn't this error, you wouldn't have an RE code of like four or three or two, something that doesn't allow you enlist. So they believe that's unjust. So they change it based on, well, we're changing your discharge characterization and RE and your uh, narrative reason because it was actually unjust. And if it didn't happen, you would have not had this RE code. Does that make sense? So you can't just go in and I'm just changing this they're not going to change it unless there's some injustice to the discharge. They're not going to change it to allow you enlist. So what they say in this form, this addendum, is they say um, the discharger is authorized to change the applicant's reenlistment code if related to an accompanying change in discharge characterization or narrative. But this authority is strictly limited to those cases where an applicant's narrative reason or of characterization is changed, and that change warrants revision of the previously denied reenlist issued reenlistment code. Again, so it's saying, well, we're changing it 
because this was unjust and accordingly we're going to change your reenlistment code. So they have no authority the discharge to just upgrade a discharge for the sole purpose of enhancing reenlistment opportunities. So hope this made sense. I did have a case like that where the person was like, honestly wanted to serve so badly, but it was a very difficult case. I'll, I'll talk about that in another episode without revealing the client's information, but RE codes are really difficult, especially, I will tell you, especially if you were discharged for a mental health reason, that is going to be very difficult. They're very strict on that. There's DOD regulations that talk about what can be waived, et cetera. So really hard. I don't want to be sound discouraging, but I'm trying to be honest here. Um, okay. So I discussed that. The other thing is the other thing they talk about is like a medical condition. Like it, it reminds you that if you have some type of medical condition when you were in the service and you were also discharged for misconduct, the medical condition doesn't just uh, take precedence. So it, just because you had a serious, I, I don't know, whatever medical condition, and then you also have misconduct, that doesn't take precedence. What they, it's called a dual action. So I talked about it in one of my other podcasts, but those cases go up to the sec, uh, the personnel council for each service. And they look at your medical condition, even if it's it warrants a retirement, like let's say you were retired for asthma or something that you got like a retirement, it's your asthma is really bad, but then you have misconduct. So then the board weighs that and it's almost like that liberal guidance analysis. They look at whether they believe that medical condition attributed to your misconduct. And if it did, the board's more liable to change, to, to allow the thing to take precedent, be your medical condition as opposed to misconduct. But let's say you had asthma. Okay. This is going to be an extreme example. You had asthma, but you like stole a thousand dollars. They're going to say, okay, there's nothing to, you know, your asthma has no relation to your larceny charge. So that's going to be denied. So I was on the boards at the Air Force and we saw a lot of cases like that. That's that's basically the analysis. Was there a nexus? And if, you know, it, it depends on the facts. Like every case I would say it depends on the facts. So that's another thing they tell you. They remind you there's no automatic upgrade. So your discharge is not going to be upgraded in six months. I don't know where that rumor came, but I get a lot of emails from people. Unfortunately, they were like, ah, it's hard to believe. You know, they said they were told by people. I don't know if this was like an oh, don't worry, you're going to be discharged. But six months later, it's going to be upgraded. Like there's never been anything like that. Not sure where that, but if people are still thinking that for some reason. Um, and the last thing I want to just tell you again in this addendum from the Navy Discharge Review Board, they tell people, which this is really important that I discussed a couple of times, but it's really important. I want to kind of footstomp it. Post-service conduct. Again, they tell you that, you know, the DRB is authorized to consider post-service conducts. Again, um, in recharacterization of the discharge to the extent such matters provide a basis for a more thorough understanding of the applicant's performance while he was in the military. So it's not like, okay, you know, your post-service conduct, it was so good. We're just going to upgrade it. No, it, but it, it kind of tells the board, like based on what you've been doing post-service, it gives them an idea. Yeah. This guy was a good egg. Look, look, look what he did. Like, and look what he did before in the military before you got his PTSD or mental health condition. So that's what it's used for. It's not, I always have clients, don't get me wrong. Like I have clients, I give them like templates on character statements, everything. But interestingly, wow, like this letter tells the members that you could, it says you can include stuff like verifiable continuous employment, I guess, you know, to show you're working, maybe get, which is important, you know, get a letter from your employer or something, I don't know. This seems a little 
extreme, but it's talking about marriage and children's and birth certificates. Well, I mean, if you're married, usually the client says, I'm married, I have kids. I don't know. I've never had a client provide that to the board, but I don't know. Maybe there's a case it could be applicable. I'm not sure why you'd have to actually prove the, the with birth certificates. I've never done that. I don't think I would. Um, character witness statements. Again, I have a template for that. I give them and say, get character statements. You don't have to, you know, just have people say how great you've been working in five years for the job. Your character is great. I mean, those are really helpful. It kind of, again, it tells, it portrays who you are as a person, uh, community service or any type of religious, you know, affiliation with churches, things like that. You can, you know, these volunteers there, you know, that's, that's all good. Um, you know, credit reports, maybe I've never had that, but I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess it could be applicable. I've never used that in a case actually. Um, you know, you could show that you, what you went to college and why you're like graduate summa cum laude you're doing really well in college. Um, you know, if you were an alcohol, you go to AA, you know, things like that. So that's important, but it's not going to like, just, that's going to be like 90% of your case. That's, you know, if it's close, it definitely helps if it's, um, but it, it is good. Discuss with whoever's helping you with your case, whether you want to submit some of those detailed things, but character statements and, you know, your college, things like that. Volunteer stuff is very good. Um, yeah. So that's, I wanted to say that. And I really like the way the Navy puts that in there. It's very clear cut. Tell Cause this person might've been denied, right? So they're giving this to you in case you now want to go to a personal appearance. So they're saying, so it's nice. They're giving you more information. Um, and the last thing, okay, the la this is the real last thing I'm going to talk about with this. So this document tells people, Hey, remember, like if you get a bad conduct discharge, we, we can't now have you come in and say, Oh, I, you know, I pled guilty to using marijuana, but I really didn't, they're not going to upgrade it. So I get calls. It's a common type of call. They said, yeah, I was discharged. Um, I went to a court. I pled guilty, but I really didn't do it. My attorney told me I should plead guilty. That's, by the way, very difficult to do in the in the military, I will tell you that. And the civilians, they do all these type of plea bargains. The military, I find that really difficult. In the civilian world, I realize because, honestly, I guess some someone doesn't want to risk going to jail for 50 years. So they said, okay, I'll plead guilty to something you know, perhaps they're not guilty of because they'd rather do that. And then, you know, I'm sure that happens. And I know it happens. I'm not that I'm sure. I'm sh I know it happens. They just do a plea guard, plea garden for something, bargain for something they didn't do because they don't want to risk going to jail for 50 years. Military, it, it is different. I, I haven't ever heard of a case like that, but because there is something called a care inquiry. When you're pleading guilty, there's a ju judge that does a plea, uh, called a care inquiry. Well, they, they ask you a million questions about the offense you commit. So let's say it's marijuana and you're pleading guilty at a court martial for marijuana or cocaine. They go over all the elements of the defense of the offense. Like, okay, you know, what did you, where did you use it? Where did you get it from? What were you doing? Who gave it to you? Um, you know, were you drunk? You know, they want to make sure you were, you know, knowingly ingested it. You weren't like half asleep and someone or someone put it in your drink. I mean, they ask you enough questions and you have to swear to tell the truth before you do this care inquiry. So you're swearing to tell the truth and you go on and answer these questions for, it's a good, you know, half, depending on how many charges, it could go on for an hour. So for you to now come back 10 years later and say, I know I did this care inquiry and swore to tell the truth. And, and I lied to the judge, to the court, 
but I, I'm not guilty of it. I, I mean, that's almost impossible for them to change it based on that. I mean, that could be like the legal error, but I, I would think I would be shocked if there was a case overturned based on that basis, unless something came out, you know, they got like 10 witnesses that he really didn't steal it. It might be possible. I know the Navy here, they're saying that, you know, we're not going to, this is not going to be a basis for relief. Okay. So what I tell clients is if you're trying to now overturn it, if, and you're saying you're innocent, I'm, I'm not saying you can't apply on that basis, but it's going to be, you're in a hell of a hell of a time. You're it's going to be impossible almost. Like I can't imagine them granting that what they can grant is, and even the discharge review board can grant is they could actually change your bad conduct discharge, like the punishment you got. Remember, bad conduct discharge, you can only get that from a court-martial, right? It's called a punitive discharge. It's much worse than administrative. Administrative discharge being honorable, general, other than honorable. Right? It's punitive. Um, you know, bad conduct. So if you hear someone got a bad conduct discharge, you know they were court-martialed. That's the only way you can get it. Um, and then in a general court martial where there's heavier sentences there, you can get a dishonorable, which is the worst type. And then for an officer, it's dismissal. But basically, um, so it's a clemency. So it's not like you saying, well, I know I pled guilty to using cocaine, but I wasn't. You're saying, I know I pled guilty to cocaine. I'm very sorry. I was young, stupid, drunk, blah, blah, blah. But it's been 20 years. I've been employed with the same company for 20 years. I have great, you know, I got promotions. I mean, you don't have to have been employed by one company, but I'm just giving that as an example. Um, you know, great character letters. I volunteer here, do this, you know, have kids, you know, happily married, all that stuff. That's clemency. And, and please, I don't want to go to my grave with this bad conduct discharge. That they can look specifically solely at your post conduct for that as well as you can say all the great things you did while you're in the service other than the use of cocaine. So very good. I want to just go over that because I get a lot of calls on that and I try to tell them and explain to them and they don't know, you know, they, people call me and say, well, I, I didn't really, I didn't do it and I want to change it. And I explain, okay, I mean, I'm not going to doubt that you didn't do it. You're telling me you really pled guilty to something you did. I'm not doubting that. I'm not going to argue with you that, but I will tell you that you're not going to be able to get it upgraded based on that. I would say 98.9% .9 of the time. I'd be very curious if there was a case ever upgraded based on that. And they're not, and of course they don't have the authority to get rid of your conviction. They could just like change your BCD. But again, it's based on clemency. So I think I covered that enough. Um, but yeah, I wanted to discuss that because those are common elements of questions I get all the time from people who call or email me. So, and it's written very eloquently, very nicely in this army, in this Navy um, decision, they attach it because it's like telling these veterans, like, okay, if you're going to reapply either to the, for a personal appearance or to the board for correction of Naval records, like these are some concepts you should know. All right. Well, now we're to um, our life matters thing. I have a really quick one because I know we're over like 20 minutes now. I don't want to make these too long because I know, you know, people have stuff to do, but, um, and just want to keep it definitely under 30 minutes, try to get it, keep it 20 minutes, but here's something really, it's very simple thing. Um, so sometimes people are trying to figure out what to do, like a, just a uh, decision, right? And you, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't, what, what, what should I do in this situation? Sometimes it's easier. Pretend it's not you. Pretend you are advising your, your friend. 
like pretend, you know, you're the wise person and you're giving advice to your best friend, right? So you really care about them. This is your best friend in the world. What would you advice would you give them? This is a starting point. I know it's, I know it's not like the be all like, okay, always do the advice you would, because there's all in every decision, there's a multitude. Wow. There's like a hundred other factors, right. That are very specific to your, to your specific circumstance, but it's a good starting point. You know, like what would you tell your best friend that you really care for? So it's a good little thing to think about, you know, when you're not sure, like, what would I do? Because we kind of view ourselves differently, right? We sometimes don't always give ourselves the best advice is maybe what I could say. So anyway, I hope that was helpful and I uh, hope you're enjoying these. And please, if you have any feedback or have questions, do it through that Anchor app. And, you know, you can send me a little voicemail or email because if there's something not clear or you want to just give feedback. Oh, and by the way, if you don't mind, um, since I'm resuming these, you know, if you want to go to, this is on iTunes and all that Apple iTunes um you could like give it a little review if you want, if you want, you don't have to know it takes time to, to do that. But if you'd like to do that and I, you know, I'd like other people to be aware of this podcast. I'm not doing the greatest job advertising. I guess I'll send out some notices through LinkedIn, et cetera. But anyway, that is all for now. Um, hope you're enjoying your day. I hope you're doing well. And as I always say, I sincerely believe this don't ever, ever give up because there is always hope. Talk to you next time.